With everything that was accomplished through the next campaign, we just wanted to say... Thank you! Thank you so much. Thanks! Thank you! If I had my way, I would just give you the big African hug and say thank you so much. Thank you, Christ Community, for giving towards your next campaign. And your generosity will lead towards building the event center, which is going to be built in Malenovice, the Czech Republic, right behind me. I love worshiping in the new Kids World in DeKalb. From the Blackberry Creek traffic teams, our parking lots are bigger and safer than ever. I love the new hub at Tekel because it's somewhere where I can invite my friends and have a great time. Thank you, Christ Community Church, for giving to the next campaign. It has allowed for the purchase of this wonderful building, the Outreach Center in DeKalb, where we offer conversation groups and English as a second language classes and even tumbling classes to many in the community. We look forward to what God is going to do in the future. Thank you. Again, I want to say thank you for your wonderful support. Thank you for what you're doing, especially towards the training center. God bless you. Thanks! Woo! So, thank you, Christ Community Church, for giving. Thank you, those of you gathered in St. Charles and at Blackberry Creek and DeKalb and Streamwood Bartlett. Thank you for your generosity. Now, we had a goal over a two-year period to raise $11 million for, for special projects. And this last fall, as we closed in on the end of the year and the end of the, the gathering in of the resources, we were at about $9.5 million. We had a million and a half to go. So the, the big question is, how close did we come? How close did we get to our goal of $11 million? And we told you this is the weekend we would announce it. So those of you who are gathered at our campuses or watching online because of the, uh, the icy road conditions, you decided to stay home and sip coffee in your jammies. We're missing you, but you're going to hear the announcement as well as everybody. Uh, let's see how close we got to the $11 million. I think we need a drummer with a drum roll for this. All right, come on, welcome, Ben, yeah. Okay, but, uh, but you gotta participate too because I'm not giving you any number. You're not gonna see how close we got to 11 mil if you don't start doing a drum roll thing. Come on, let's go, let's go a little louder. Wanna hear more, more? Let's take a look, what did we do? <laughs> yes, fantastic. So thank you. You know, over 1,800 people participated or families participated in this. The middle school kids raised $3,000 of it. Isn't that just amazing? So uh, we're pretty... We're pretty pumped at all the stuff we get to do now, stuff we've already begun doing. You know, you saw the pictures, you know, about DeKalb already moving into their new campus. Welcome, DeKalb. And uh, around our other campuses and around the world, we're doing things in the name of Jesus because of your giving. So let's take a look at God's word, see what he has to say about overflowing with generosity. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, as we look to your word, we invite your spirit to be our life coach right now. 
where there's a hardness of heart to you, a resistance to you in any way, God, break that down so that we're responsive and we, we desire to walk in obedience to you because of how good you've been to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Asia is on the verge of becoming a Christ follower. And what makes this so unusual is that Asia is a devout Muslim, and she lives in one of the most dangerous areas of the world. She lives in a region called the Nuba Mountains. It's a region of about a million people, and it straddles northern Sudan. Northern Sudan is very militantly Muslim, and southern Sudan, which is mostly Christian. Uh, the Nuba Mountains, right between those two areas, it's so dangerous that the Red Cross, uh, Doctors Without Borders, other organizations don't even go there anymore. And for the past several years, the Muslims in the north have been dropping bombs on the homes and the churches of Christians in the Nuba Mountains. Well, not too long ago, they dropped a bomb mistakenly on Asia's home, and her husband was killed. And so she fled to the nearest refugee camp, and in that refugee camp, she discovered something very astounding. She discovered generous Christians. I read her story in the monthly magazine of Voice of the Martyrs. Sue and I have been supporting Voice of the Martyrs for years, an organization that supports Christ followers who are, who are living under persecution around the world. And one of the things they do is they deliver care packages to Christ followers in persecuted regions. So you get this care package and it's got a blanket and it's got some medical supplies, some food, some soap, some uh, toothpaste and, and, and so on. And so even though other organizations aren't making it to the Nuba Mountains, the care packages from Voice of the Martyrs are still arriving. And in Asia's refugee camp, as soon as Christ followers get those packages, they rip them open and they start giving away their supplies to other people in the camp. She can't believe it. They give away their supplies even to, even to Muslims like Asia. And she's been so impressed with her generosity that Asia is considering becoming a Christ follower herself. According to this article, there is a great openness among Muslims to the good news of Jesus in the Nuba Mountains because of the generosity of God's people. Well, we're in the fourth and final week of a series called Overflow. Overflow, blessings that can't be contained. And for the, the, the past month, we've been focusing on the way in which God pours. He pours blessings into our lives in superabundance. And why does he do it? He, he does it so that these blessings can spill over into the lives of other people. Well, today's topic is prosperity. And uh, some of you have already checked out because you're thinking to yourself, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not prosperous. Well, really, I did a little bit of research online this week, and what I discovered is that if, if you make a household income of $50,000, which would be pretty modest for the area in which most of us live, household income of $50,000, you are richer than 99% of the people in the world. Think about that. In fact, if you're among the poorest of the poor in the United States, you make more money than 80% of the people in the world. And besides that, prosperity is not just a dollar amount, right? Prosperity is a matter of the heart. Okay, the, the, these Christ followers in Asia's refugee camp in the Nuba Mountains, so when they received their care packages, it didn't make them rich. But they considered themselves in their hearts to be so brimming with prosperity that they needed to spill it over into the lives of people around them. 
So today, brimming with prosperity, I want you to take out your outline and also turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, while you're finding 2 Corinthians 9, let me give you a little bit of background, a little context, capital C, context, to this passage of Scripture. The, the Apostle Paul wrote this New Testament epistle, this letter, to, to a group of Christ followers in the ancient city of Corinth. Corinth was a middle-class and above sort of city. Uh, much like modern-day St. Charles, Geneva, Elgin, uh, Streamwood, Bartlett, uh, DeKalb, Sycamore, Blackberry Creek, and so on. Okay, a, a, a middle class and above. And Paul is the one who introduced these people to Jesus. And he was now writing them a letter to remind them of a commitment that they had made to him. So in his previous letter... Paul had spelled out that he was uh, collecting a special offering. It was a relief offering for impoverished Christ followers in Jerusalem. And he was going around the then no world collecting from Christ followers for this offering. And the Corinthians had said to Paul when they got word of this, hey, count us in. We want to participate. We, we want to play a part in this offering. And so Paul's now writing them a second letter to remind them of their promise. And he's saying, okay, I'm on my way to Corinth. When I get there, have the offering ready to go, okay? Because if it's not, it's going to be somewhat embarrassing. I'm going to look stupid. You're going to look stupid because everywhere I've gone, I've been telling people, oh, those Corinthians, they are so generous. Wait till you see what they give. So if I show up and you guys don't give, oh my goodness, you're going to, you're going to let me down. Let, let your prosperity overflow into the lives of others. Put your money where your mouth is. So three truths in today's text that Paul is going to teach us about overflowing with prosperity, overflowing with generosity. Here's number one. The law of generosity. The law of generosity. If you've got your Bible open to 2 Corinthians 9, we begin at verse 6. You've probably heard these words before. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, the law of generosity is spelled out in the verses we just read together. And here it is in a nutshell. The more you give the more you get. The, the more you give, the more you get. Say it with me. The more you give, the more you get. Now, we're not talking strictly in terms of material terms, but all sorts of blessings pour into our lives when we're givers. Paul uses farmer language to make his point. He says, you know, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. Now imagine, if you would, a farmer saying to himself as planting season begins, saying to himself, you know, I'm not going to throw this seed away. You know, throw it into the ground. Are you kidding? Throw it into the ground. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hang on to it. So, you know, come the middle of winter, I may be hungry. I may need to eat this seed. Can you imagine a farmer saying that? That would not be a very wise farmer. I did a little research on sowing and reaping this past weekend. This is what I learned. A farmer who sows two bushels of wheat, okay, throws into the ground two bushels of wheat, he will reap 60. If he sows two bushels of oats, he'll reap 79. 
If he sows seven and a half pounds of corn, he'll reap 120 bushels of corn. So Paul is using a farming analogy here for giving. giving. He's saying, hey, if we hang on to our prosperity, we're going to get very little in return for it. But if we give it away, we will experience abundant blessing. This is the law of generosity. The more we give, the more we get. Do you believe it? Yeah. Some time ago, I went to a conference where the uh, speaker was Dr. John Maxwell. Uh, Maxwell is a leadership guru. He's written all sorts of books on leadership, New York Times bestsellers. He's been a consultant to major corporations. So I was looking forward to this conference on leadership, and one of his sessions was on generosity. And in the middle of his talk, in order to make a point, he used an illustration. He took off his watch, looked like a pretty expensive watch, and he gave it to a guy in the front row. He said, here, I want you to have it. And it wasn't a stunt. He gave it away. So after the session, I wanted to go up and thank Dr. Maxwell for what I'd learned in that session about generosity. And I, after we chatted for a few minutes, spontaneously, I just took off my watch and I gave it to him. I said, here, I want you to have my watch because I know you can use one. And so he laughed about it and he you know, took my watch. It was a cheapo watch, by the way. <laughs> So let me tell you what happened after the conference. I go home and about a week later, one of my staff members who'd been with me at the conference gave me a gift, gave me a brand new watch. And he said, you know, I saw you give your watch away to Dr. Maxwell and I thought that was pretty cool and so I decided to replace it. And I thought that was cool. But it got cooler. Uh, because I got a package a couple days after that in the mail, and the package, uh, John Maxwell had had his administrator send me a new watch. So now I, I gave away one cheaper watch. I had two new watches. So I wrote this administrator because I couldn't resist telling him what had happened. And I said, you wouldn't, wouldn't believe what, what happened. I gave away my cheaper watch. I got two good watches in, in return. And he wrote back and he said, that's how generosity works. And then in the next line, he said, now, would you like to try that with your car? <laughs> Would you like to try that with your car? That's actually a very revealing line because it reveals how we look at generosity. See, the truth of the matter is we're willing to experience, you know, experiment with generosity as long as the stakes are low. So give away a cheapo watch, it's not a big deal. Give away a car, ooh, that's a big deal. Give away a full tithe of our income. Now, tithe, you know, is a biblical word. It means tenth. This is the, the biblical standard. This is the baseline standard for generosity. God asks us in his word to give away the first 10% of our income. Give it back to the Lord for the Lord's work. So it's easy to sow sparingly, but if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you want to reap generously, you've got to sow generously. Okay, the more we give, the more we get. Now, I was thinking about this this last week as I was preparing my notes, and I was ruminating on all the reasons I hear from people over, over time about why they don't give more generously than they, they do. And I realized, you know, I've used some of these excuses myself. I, I wrote out, I, I came up with eight of them. I want to share them with you. If the law of generosity says, the more you give, the more you get, why don't we give more generously than we do? Okay, so here are eight reasons. You could jot these down. Maybe you'll relate to one or more of them. Number one, I'm scared I won't have enough. 
Okay, if I give, I'm scared I won't have enough. In our heart of hearts, we don't believe the law of generosity. You know, we don't believe that the more you give, the more you get. We don't believe it. We actually believe the opposite. We believe the more I give, the less I have for myself and my needs. See, if, if I give, I won't have money to pay the bills, or I won't, I won't have money to replace my aging car. I, I won't have money to go to college. You, you know what's behind this thinking? Self-sufficiency. We're not trusting God to meet our needs. We're trusting ourselves. Because if we were trusting God and God says, give generously, then we would give generously and saying, hey, meeting our needs is God's problem. Right? You know, in all the years I have taught the principle of tithing, in all the years I've taught it, I have never once had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, hey, I tried that. I tried tithing and I couldn't pay my bills. Never. Never happened. But I've got, I've got a file folder, a thick file folder of letters from people who have written to me to say, I did the tithing thing and it's absolutely amazing the way in which God has blessed my life and met my needs. Here, here's the second reason, you know, why we sometimes give sparingly instead of generously. I want to buy things that make me happy. I want to buy things that make me happy. Now, we would never say that out loud. In fact, what we say out loud is just the opposite. We say, I understand that money can't buy you happiness. But that's not how we behave. <laughs> we keep spending on clothes and cars and travel and eating out and tickets and uh, travel soccer leagues and video games and household furnishings and, and you name it in an effort to make ourselves happy. And as a result, there's little money left over for giving. And, and here's the irony of it all, friends. What would make us truly happy is to be generous. At the end of verse 7 that I read to you a moment ago, it says God loves a cheerful giver. Most givers I know are cheerful pe people. I've never met a generous person who was a sourpuss. Yeah, it just doesn't go together. I, I have met many people who spend boku bucks on themselves, and they're just chronic complainers. They're not happy individuals. Number three, why don't we give more generously than we do? Well, I've worked hard for my money, and it's mine. In other words, if, if other people have needs, let them go out and earn a living just like I did. I mean, why should I give money away when nobody has given me anything? Really? Nobody has given you anything. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Apostle Paul, writing in his first letter of Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 7, says, What do you have that you did not receive? I mean, come on, think about it. What do, you, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Everything we have, friends, everything we have has been given to us by God. Yes, we worked for that paycheck, but let me ask, who gave you the ability to earn it? Okay, who, who gave us our job skills? Who gave us our education? Who provided employment opportunities? Who will give us the health we need this week to get out of bed and go to work? I mean, on and on it goes. We have been on the receiving end of God's relentless giving. But by the way, God has not 
only given us everything that we have. He owns everything we have, the Bible teaches. And so it's just foolishness on our part to act as if it's our, you know, it's our decision what we're going to keep and what we're going to give. It's, it's God's money. Number four, another reason we're not more generous than we could be. I, I just can't get started. So I believe generosity is an impulse in most Christ followers. We want to be more generous. Maybe we've heard a bunch of messages about giving, about tithing. We, we just don't do anything about it. So here's my challenge to you today. Are you ready for this challenge? My challenge is to start tithing with your next paycheck. Your very next paycheck, give 10% back to the Lord's work. Okay, you, you could do that electronically. You, you, you could go online and give it to Christ Community Church electronically. You could write out a check and put it in the offering bag next week. But let next week be your very first tithe. And then do, here's the challenge. Do this for eight weeks in a row. If you do it for eight weeks in a row, it'll be Easter weekend. So you'll culminate this little experiment on Easter weekend. And on Easter, look back over the previous eight weeks and take stock of what you see and ask yourself the question, do I like this or not? Okay, was this a worthwhile thing that I want to continue or not? This is the tithing challenge. Okay, for the next eight weeks, between now and Easter, starting with your next paycheck. By, by the way, every time I talk about tithing, and uh, the last time I taught about tithing in detail was six years ago in a series called Generosity. It was six years ago. I do not teach this every other weekend, contrary to what some of you think. Six years ago in a series on generosity. And every time I teach this, someone will come up to me and say, well, but tithing is an Old Testament law that's no longer in vogue for New Testament Christ followers. So I, I wrote a response to that, a biblical response, four pages of what the Bible teaches about tithing and how it's applicable to Christ followers today. And how, listen to this, and how that tithe, that, that 10% off the top is meant for your local church, the body of Christ that nourishes your spiritual growth. So, so your giving doesn't start with the Boy Scouts or Save the Whales or even you know, some Christian organization. It starts with your local church. So if you want a copy of that paper, we, we have a hard copy, a paper copy at the information counter waiting for you after the service today at any of our campuses. Or you could go online and check it out, ccclife.org forward slash tithing. Some of you who are community group leaders, because the question may arise in your group this week, you'll need to have that information. So take the tithing challenge. Just throw your hat over the fence and do it. See what happens. Here's a, here's a fifth reason we're not more generous than we are. Uh, some of us say, well, I'm married and my spouse and I, we just don't talk about this. See, most often when I preach at Christ Community Church, I'm conscious of the fact that we're all individually wrestling with the content of what God has said to us in his word, and we're trying to come up with a personal application that's very private, strictly between, you know, me and God. But when it comes to money, it doesn't work that way if you're married, right? Right. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to money, the decisions you make about something like, like giving, you have to make in concert with your spouse, I mean, right now, you, you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, well, I'd like to be more generous. You know, I'd like to start giving. I'd like to start tithing. But unless you go, if you're married, unless you go home and you talk this over with your spouse, it's never going to happen in your home. Musing anecdote along these lines. 
the last time I talked about tithing in detail, which was six years ago, <laughs> I heard back from a couple of couples, this was kind of amusing, uh, two couples had the same experience. They, they go home and the husband says to the wife, say, well, I'm sure glad this is something we're doing, that we're tithing. And the wife in each couple happens to be the bookkeeper of the family. And she says to the husband, well, actually, honey, we're not. We're like given 2% or we're given 4%. We're not given 10%. The guy's shocked. Husbands are often clueless, right? <laughs> and so, so if giving is going to, if generosity is going to happen in your family and you're married, it's going to require a discussion. You get it? Good. Here's a sixth reason for sowing sparingly instead of generously. You say, I, I give a little bit every once in a while. I give a little bit every once in a while. Now, one of the things I love about the tithe is it's so easy to compute, right? It doesn't take a math genius. You just look at your paycheck and you move the decimal point one, one space to the left. That's a tenth. That's a tithe. Or you take the money you got from you know, grandma for your birthday or your babysitting job or your snow shoveling job and you just, you know, you just move the decimal point and that's a tithe. And that's where generosity begins. That's the, that's the baseline. Now, what I find amusing is how non-tithing people often consider themselves to be wildly generous because they remember a time when they, they bought a homeless guy a lunch or they put $20, not loose change, a $20 bill into the Salvation Army bell ringers bucket. And I want to say, compared to a tithe, that's a token. That's a token do the math with me. I'll make it real easy. We'll take that $50,000 a year salary, household income. Okay, again, very modest for the area in which we live. That computes to $1,000 a week of income. That means $100 a week of tithe. But that $100 is given week after week after week after week after week. Now that's generosity. See the difference here? And guess what? Again, that's just the starting point. That's not the finish line. God says he'd love to see us give beyond that. So, yeah, after you start tithing, then go out and buy the homeless guy a lunch. After you start tithing, go, go ahead and, and put $20 in the Salvation Army bucket or write a check to feed my starving children or to a Samaritan's purse. Or after you've begun tithing to your local church. See, this is what Paul's talking about in this passage in 2 Corinthians 9. He's not talking about tithing in this passage. He's talking about a special over and above gift. These desperately needy believers in Jerusalem, he's collecting a gift for them. He assumes that the Corinthians are already tithing to their church. He's asking them to give an over and above super generous gift here. Now, I know this is wigging out some of you, because if you are a I give a little bit every once in a while person, and all of a sudden I'm talking not just about tithing, I'm talking about over and above like crazy generous giving. All I could say to you is don't try to make the leap in you know, one step. You, you, know, you take incremental steps. Your next step is probably start tithing. Start tithing. John D. Rockefeller, the famous philanthropist, was once asked the question, how can you give away millions of dollars? I mean, you just give away, give away all this money. And Rockefeller said, he said, you know, I would never have been able to tithe on the first million I ever made if I had not tithed on my very first salary, which was a buck fifty. Buck fifty for the week. 
So if you want to begin, if you want to become generous, start now, start with that tithe amount. Now, number seven, why aren't we more generous? Because we say, well, I'm serving, and so I'm giving my time, even though I'm not giving my money. And I want to say to you, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. We can't ignore everything the Bible says about being generous with our money just because we're being generous with our time. Did you know that there are more verses in the Bible about money and possessions and what to do with them than there are verses about prayer, than there are verses about faith, than there are verses about heaven and hell? Did you know that a third of Jesus' parables deal with the topic of money and possessions and what to do with them? See, God, evidently this is a really important issue from God's perspective. We can't ignore it. Number eight, why can't I be more generous? Well, I'm in debt or I'm unemployed. And let me say, first of all, if this describes you, we are here as a church to help you. In fact, this is why we do FPU, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's nationally popular material on how to manage your money well. And, you know, one of the, one of the byproducts of that will be it'll get you out of debt. This is why we do Job Transitions Workshop for those who are between jobs to help you find that next job. So we want to help you. But, but let me say to you, if the law of generosity holds true, the more you give, the more you get, then you cannot afford, if you're in debt or you're out of work, you cannot afford not to give. The more you give, the more you get out of debt. The more you give, the more you get job opportunities. This is how the law of generosity works. And so I would encourage you, if you're, you're struggling, now is the time to put it into effect. Now, as I was putting my sermon together this week, I quickly realized that my first main point was going to take up most of the time. This law of generosity, eight subpoints. Here's why we don't do it more than we should. So let me say just a brief word about my second and third main points. So number two, the source of generosity. And here is the wonderful part about overflowing with generosity. God supplies the overflow. God supplies the overflow. It comes from him. Back to the farmer analogy that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul not only says, you know, sow more seed, sow more seed, sow more seed. He, he also says, and God will provide abundantly the seed he wants you to sow. God is the source of our generosity. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, now he, he's speaking of God, now, now God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God gives us the resources with which to be generous. Now, let me ask you a question. When you experience a financial windfall in your life, okay, when, when you get a little extra money, uh, maybe it's because you get a bonus check at work or grandma has given you a birthday gift, uh, maybe it's uh, money you made on eBay, you sold something, or you closed a sale with a, a customer, or you watched some investments skyrocket, or a customer at work left you a huge tip. What is the first thought 
Now, honestly, you've just come into a little bit of extra cash. What is the first thought that crosses your mind about what to do with that money? Is the, the first thought about how you could spend it. You're holding that check, that, that little bit of cash, and you're thinking about a cruise or a new sofa, an SUV, the latest smartphone, uh, braces for your kid's teeth. Or is your first thought about what you do with that money, about how you might spend, or, or rather give some of that money away? How could you, how could you give it away? Let, let, let me put it another way. Do you, do you think God pours, God pours financial resources into our lives to increase our standard of living or to increase our standard of giving? What do you think? Do you think God pours resources into our lives in order to increase our standard of living or in order to increase our standard of giving? You know the answer to this. And Paul spells it out in verse, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 9. He says, you will be in, in enriched in every way so that, if you got your own Bible, circle that expression, so that, here's the reason you're going to be enriched by God, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, some of you may be thinking, but God is not enriching me in every way. He is not pouring resources into my lap. In fact, money is barely trickling in. I have a modest income. I don't have a lot with which to be generous. Okay, let me tell you about the Macedonian Christ followers. The Macedonians were dirt poor. I already told you the Corinthians, they were middle class and above, but the Macedonians were dirt poor. But when they heard about this offering that Paul was collecting for impoverished believers in Jerusalem, they said, hey, please, please, please let us participate. You know, Paul, we, we want to we wanna share in this offering. Go back one chapter, previous chapter to 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to read with me Paul's description of these poor Macedonians. Verse 2 of chapter 8, he says their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They're horribly poor, but welling up with rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And he says they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. This is every pastor's dream. You know, people who say, please, let us, let's do another offering today. Yeah. <laughs> These dirt poor Christ followers, Paul says, gave beyond their ability to give. That is a very intriguing phrase, is it not? Okay, how do you give beyond your ability to give? I mean, I, I understand giving according to your ability. How do you give beyond your ability to give? Well, how do you do anything that's beyond your ability to do? You ask God for his help, Right? Which means these Macedonian Christ followers, they were saying, God, please help us because we want to give gener generously and we could only do it if you provide. So my question for you is, how badly do you want to be a giver? How badly do you want to be a generous person? God's the source of generosity. He'll provide if you want to give. Here's the third main point. The rewards of generosity. And this is my favorite part. The rewards of generosity. Now, we, we've got a new staff member at Christ Community Church. Uh, he's actually been on our staff for 15 years, Larry Stratton, but we just changed his job description. We just created a new position. It's the position of pastor of generosity. 
we sort of figured that we've got pastors for every other value that we hold dear here at Christ Community. So if there is a value, we got a pastor attached to it. Worship is a value, so we got a worship pastor. Kids are a value, so we've got a children's pastor. Community groups are a value. Outreach is a value. we got pastors for each of these areas. We ought to have a pastor for generosity because it's one of our core values. And so we asked Larry to champion this value. We, we asked Larry to cultivate givers, big and small. Now, now, if you happen to be the least bit cynical... You may be thinking to yourself at this point, oh, so Larry's job is to squeeze more out of us. <laughs> but if, if, if that's your suspicion, you totally misunderstand why we promote generosity at Christ Community Church. We don't want more from you. We want more for you. And I mean that with all my heart. You know, God will take care of meeting our needs. We don't want more from you. We want more for you. The Bible teaches that there are rich rewards associated with generosity, but, but you don't get the rewards unless you're a giver. Okay, so, so let me point out four of these rewards in 2 Corinthians 9, four rewards that we want for you. Number one, good works. Good. This is what we want. We want good works for you. Look at the closing line of verse 8. Paul tells the Corinthians here what, why he wants them to be generous and participate in this special offering for impoverished believers in Jerusalem. Paul says, it's so you will abound in every good work. If you give, you will abound in every good work. Paul wanted the Corinthians to have a thick portfolio of good works. Friends, we experience tremendous joy when we see what our giving accomplishes in the lives of other people. When we give and we see people blessed, good works, oh my. You know, I, I, I hope you feel that way about your contribution to the next campaign. We didn't try to raise $11 million just to prove that we could raise $11 million. We did it to enhance ministries that lead people into a relationship with God. Ministries that heal broken marriages, that break addictions. Ministries that build moral and spiritual character in students. Ministries that send medical teams to places like Nicaragua and support things like crisis pregnancy centers in our own area. And on and on and on the list goes. See, when, when you give to Christ Community Church, I hope you get great joy from the good works your generosity accomplishes in the lives of people. Good works. Here's a second reward. Personal spiritual growth. Personal spiritual growth. Look again at the last line of verse 10 and the first line of verse 11. Paul says to the Corinthians that their giving will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You're going to become a more righteous person, and you will be enriched in every way. When we give, our lives are enriched. We grow. And friends, when we don't give, I don't care how many Bible studies you're in. I don't care how many ministries you serve. And when, when we don't give, we don't grow spiritually. You know, on one occasion, Jesus said, Luke chapter 16, verse 11, he said to his audience, he was teaching about giving, he said, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, if you can't be trusted with what you do with your, your money, what makes you think God will ever trust you with true spiritual riches? 
If you want to grow spiritually, you've you got to be a giver. Generosity and spiritual growth are directly related. I have watched as people's relationship with God takes off like a rocket the moment they become a giver. See, generosity is the rocket fuel of a relationship with God. It is. And, and let me just say a word here to those of you who are middle school and high school students and you're thinking, well, this is all directed at my mom and dad because they've got a job and I don't. See, the offering that we take each week at Christ Community is not just an opportunity for, for mom and dad to give and so grow. It's an opportunity for you, student, middle school, high school student, to give and so grow. This is how growth happens, through giving. Number three, third reward, praise to God. Look again at verses 12 and 13 of today's text. Paul tells the Corinthians that their generosity, and I'm coming in the middle of the second line of verse 12, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also, listen to this, overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service, he's talking about their giving, their generosity, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. Others will praise God. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, as you give to this offering that I'm going to take to Jerusalem and I disperse it among needy Christ followers, they're going to say, hallelujah, praise God for those Corinthians. Praise God for their generosity. You know, I, I, again, I, I, I hope you enjoyed the little video before the sermon today, if you gave to the next campaign, and you, you heard from all those people saying, thank you, praise God for your generosity. Here's what God did. You know, thank you for allowing God to give through you. And it's not, it's not just those who receive our generosity who praise God because of it. It's those who observe our generosity. They look at it and they say, what, what is behind this? And they praise God. I've, I've got a good friend, and uh, he wrote me an email some time ago to tell me a personal story about giving. He said when, when he was just starting out in work world, he was making a very meager salary, but he and his wife, when it came time to do taxes, they went to a new tax account. And they sat down in this tax account and looked over their, you know, what they'd given for the year. And she was astounded. They had given 19% of their income on a meager, on a meager salary. And uh, she confessed, you know, when they told her that they were followers of Jesus and so they were led to be generous. She confessed that she was not only not a Christ follower, she was an atheist. And they said, well, you know, this is what's behind. They explained, this is what's behind our generosity. God has been so terribly generous with us. See, at a time in our lives when we were alienated from God because of our sin, God sent his son. He gave. He gave his son who came to earth and his son gave his life on the cross to take the penalty for our sins. Our sin deserved death, separation from God. And Jesus took our penalty because of his enormous generosity. And when we surrendered our, our lives to Jesus, he gave us forgiveness and he gave us new life and he promises to give us eternal life. And this was the first of many conversations that they had with this accountant who eventually surrendered her life to Jesus. You know, much like Asia right now, who's looking at what's going on in a refugee camp and saying, what is behind this generosity? And what's behind it are people who have been transformed by the generosity of God, who's reached out to them in his son, Jesus Christ. He gave us the, how could we not be generous people? See, there's praise to God when we're, when we're generous. One, one final reward, 
prayer. Paul tells the Corinthians that the Jerusalem believers who receive their gift will not only praise God for the Corinthians, they'll also pray for them. look, Look at verse 14. He says, and in their prayers for you, circle that, prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. You know, you give and you'll find people praying for you. How'd you like the pastor of Christ Community Church? How'd you like me to be praying for you? How'd you like 120 staff of our church to be praying for you? Well, we, you know, we do. We, we not only pray for those needs that you register on your welcome card and they get dropped in the offering bag and we look them over and we pray for you, but I'll tell you there's a category of people that we pray for with regularity. We pray for givers. We, we, we pray for God's blessing in your life because we are so thankful. You are the people who resource ministry here, who help to make it happen, who cause it to flourish. And so if you're a giver, periodically we pray for you that God would bless your job, that God would bless your family, that God would bless your health, that God would bless your prosperity because you know what to do with prosperity. You know that it's to overflow for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. And so I'm not embarrassed to say, if you're a giver, we're praying for you. We're asking God's richest blessing on your life. These are the rewards that come with generosity, good works and spiritual growth. Praise to God, prayer, prayer on our behalf. Now in just a moment, We're going to transition into a time of communion, which is so appropriate. When we're talking about generosity, it's got to flow from the fact that God has been so terribly generous to us. I want you to pray with me, and then I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come and lead us into a time of communion. Would you pray? Lord God, would you free us from our fears of being generous? Would you cause us to trust you? Would you help us put aside our disobedient behaviors in this regard and start to walk in conformity with your will for our lives, which we know is always intended to bring blessing to us. And as we get ready to take part in communion, as we hold the bread and the cup in our hands, may it remind us of how generous you've been to us. God, may it break the hardness of our hearts where we have been stingy with you where we've not given you, we've not brought our tithes and offerings to you, as we hold this this little emblem that reminds us of the price you paid for our salvation, may, may it break our hardness. May we say, oh God, I want to be generous like you've been with me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.